If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. Last year after we had the first retreat there, we're going to put like cell tower boosters and everything down there in the tavern. And we're all like, no, no, I don't want to sell booster down there because it's kind of nice to go up there and not be interrupted by social media or anything else. You have access if you walk up the hill and you can get on the internet and stuff like that. But it was really nice to kind of really be off the grid for like four days because we don't really do that for ourselves anymore. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafters' stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. Today, my guest is Eva Reimer. I'm your host, Susan Smith, coming to you from my quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm, Lucy, and I spend lots of hours doing freehand, mostly edge-to-edge quilting. If you're not a quilter and those terms mean nothing to you, it's basically doodling on the surface of a quilt with a 50-pound writing utensil, needle and thread attached at high speed. And if you are a machine quilter, I invite you to tune in to the live and unscripted events that I host on my YouTube channel and Facebook page. These are on the first and third Friday of every month. They're streamed live and in real time. Even the thread breaks and oopses are there. I just welcome you into my studio to watch as I work through a project and chat about the processes and decisions as I go. Plus, they're interactive, meaning you can ask questions and get answers about the project while I'm working on it. So once again, those air the first and third Friday of each month. Just look for Stitched by Susan on YouTube or Facebook to find the upcoming or the past events. Habit trails. (laughs) But I'm just thinking of when I sit down to sew a project, you know, what are the tools that I would grab? So do you keep a bag or a, you know, carrying case just for retreat? Or do you pack it, you know, I have started to build a retreat bag. So Mm -hmm. I have a lot of double tools so that I never have to think about it. So what might those be? Like a little seam ripper and extra pins that I keep in my bag, a little notepad, sticky notes, a pen, um, an extra pair of scissors. And I've even, I have an extra rotary cutter that I'm thinking about putting into because every time we go to retreat, as you notice, somebody forgot something. So then everybody else is sharing, which is not a problem either, but. Yeah, so true. So I feel like maybe that's a good place to keep your list is like actually in a bag. So if you've got a a rolling case for your machine or something like that to keep a list in there so that. You know which things you have doubles of, and then you also have kind of a checklist for, oh, maybe I used this over the last six months and yeah. took it and, and would be missing it when I got to retreat. Um, I know that some of the important things that you might not think of would be the lighting and the power strips and the surge protectors. And it seems like there's never too many. You can't have too many of those things, right? Yeah. Well, and the lighting we built over, we bought several new lights this year. 
So um, the place where we go to, it's an old tavern on the Columbia River. And um, we've just started acquiring little things and using little things. But we bought extra lighting this year. So and that we'd have enough. Our group is lucky in that way that we have this, we go to the same place each time. And so the things stay there, you know, some of them mm-hmm. anyway, until we come back the next time. But for those who are packing and carrying everything, there's a little more to remember. But lighting is so critical, depending on the time of year, even that you're going might be, you know, if you're working into the evening, for example, and you might really need task lighting over every one of the tables aside from room lighting. So that's really critical to think through. Yeah. So what other things? Let me see. Ironing Yeah, we had two different ironing stations at opposite ends of the room. Um, Pretty much half of the people brought irons just as a precaution because you never really know. And the previous year we'd had electrical things. So the irons, if you had too many irons on or two of the high power, like the more expensive irons, they were blowing the circuit. But we seem to have solved that problem this year. (laughs) So come sort of prepared to spread out a little bit, to rearrange Mm -hmm. and try different things. Yeah. And be on different circuits and stuff like that. So it's slowly coming together and we're figuring out the little quirks of the building we're in. Mm -hmm. Some of the fun things that we did um, was everybody brought, and I don't know that we really arranged this, Eva, but it kind of fell out. Maybe because we've gotten together with with quilters before, but people brought magazines and books that they no longer, you know, wanted Mm -hmm. or used or were finished with that, that we could circulate and then share and others could take home. And likewise, fabric bits, you know, it might have been, you know, little bundles, pre-cuts or scraps or whatever. And we just had this big bench piled high with things you could rummage yeah. through and take what appealed. That was the first. We did more of that this year than we had done before. So that was a new thing that I think I'm going to remind people to build on for next year to just bring their little whatnots that they don't want anymore because someone's trash is someone else's treasure. <laughs> I mean, it's so true. I know that's true in my own stash. Like I'll I'll make a quilt and then I'll use the scraps once or maybe twice. And then I'm like, I'm totally done with this print moving on, but it's still very nice. It's very pretty. So it's a great opportunity to take it and let someone else have the pleasure of using it. Yeah. Because what you don't want anymore might be the perfect thing for somebody else. Exactly. And I even, the quilt that I made at retreat this year, um, it was fairly simple. So I got the whole thing pieced and then I just left the pattern with someone else. It was like, you know, I'm done. I'm probably not going to make that again. Someone else can have it. Yeah, I think it's um, the quilters by nature tend to be very giving and they share what they have or they'll help somebody else or teach somebody else. We had several like little mini lessons this year. I noticed like, um, what was it? Binding, your little binding hacks. And you had like this little mini class and you kind of showed somebody how to do something. And so I think that's the things that make retreats and build friendships and build those relationships that last a lifetime. Yeah, I think you're really right. And those were very impromptu. We didn't plan them, but it's not a bad idea to go prepared with something to share, something, you know, a little hack that you've learned or a little tool that you've met and go prepared to share that because that is one of the beauties of getting together is this, you know, sharing of knowledge. And the sharing of food. I mean, there is one lady that pretty much has been told that um, she can come back every year as long as she brings lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) And let me tell you, her lasagna was a thing of beauty. Oh my goodness. She actually makes two pans, so there'll be like a half a pan left over for my friend's husband. So this is is the friend who like owns the property that that we were on. So a little side benefit for them, you know, and depending on on what your retreat might look like, um, 
but there's a couple that owns the property that, that we were kind of camping on. And so side benefit for them is they get to get fed up all week, you know, of all these yeah. yummy, delicious things. And we just have such a variety of different things. Every It's like slowly evolving. You know, people have set things. They make the caramel bars that were made. Um, what was some of the other stuff? The sandwich thing. We do like these roll-up flour tortillas and everyone just builds their own thing, which has been awesome because some people want it that way. Some people throw it on a salad and it you just buy the same ingredients and then everybody makes it the way they want to make it. Right. Very versatile. So we did, I mean, food is a really, really, really big part of retreat, let's be honest. So there's kind of two aspects. One is the meals and one is the snacks. Well, maybe there's number three. Number three is the wine. <laughs> yeah, the wine. The wine is really good. <laughs> we had a couple people this year that were very, let's say. Yes, they were <laughs> wine. Con- I tried things that I had never tried before, and I was surprised that I actually liked it. We were the beneficiaries, for sure. So our snack counter was also something to behold. <laughs> hey, that snack counter was half of what it was last year. So <laughs> I kind of, we kind of cut it down a little bit because we had way too much food last year and it was hotter and things melted and yeah well this was my first year so I only saw the cutback version but it there was still tons of to food <laughs> yeah it was yeah there was just so much and there was a little bit of everything they added a fridge to kind of our little snack area so we didn't have that fridge last year which I think was a huge thing mm-hmm. for this year. It was so much easier instead of running back and forth because we have to walk up the hill from where the building we're in to go to a house to make, to have a kitchen. Right. And so this year it's like they're slowly adding on to it, slowly building it up. And then maybe eventually it'll be open for, to the public for retreats. I don't know. That's a work in progress. We'll, we'll let you know if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you know when we're ready to share. But I mean, different people do retreats in all kinds of different ways. I mean, it can be from as simple as sharing your home and having a couple of people over to some that I've been to have been, uh, one was hosted in like a 1930s log cabin, you know, with a few updates, but not many. And that was so fun. And each of them has their own charm, but you do kind of need to think through, you know, what if food is a big one, you know, how are you going to refrigerate, store, serve, etc. Sleeping is another one. So for us, it involved some people staying in their RVs, but also there were there was a home on the property. And so, as Eva said, we could it was a little walk, but you could walk to it and go back and forth. So we got to stay um, also in a vintage home, I would say, yeah, right? Yeah, we were in a vintage home upstairs with the wall, the old library up there, which you had a great time with. Oh, I totally did because I'm a bookworm. And, you know, I found the 80s and then the 70s and then the 50s. and then, <laughs> It was fantastic. Yeah, there was, there's so much character in that house. And she's kind of, it was her grandparents' house. And at one point, I think they had three generations living in this property because there's several other houses. And so it's just fun to go up there and listen to all the stories. It totally is. And there's, everywhere you turn in that house, there's little vintage pieces like in the bathroom, there's some kind of 30s, you know, aluminum talcum powder tins sitting in the window ledge. And in the pantry, there's a, there's kind of a collection of coffee percolators of different decades. It, it's mm-hmm. absolutely fascinating. And every time you turn around, there's another one. Can you I think of just, another one? Um, I am amazed with, she still has her grandmother's like pots and pans, I think from like the 40s or 50s. They're like super old, but you saw them. They and look still uses amazing. Them. Yes. 
I mean, they take really good. She has a method. She does her method. Her grandma taught her. And they look almost like brand new, but those pots and pans are over 50 years old. That's amazing. Probably closer to 70. That's amazing. So the other day, someone told me this story of a girl who always trimmed her pot roast before she put it in a pan, like trimmed an edge off it. (laughs) You're laughing because you've heard this. (laughs) Anyway, and she's showing her daughter how to do this roast. And her daughter says to you, well, why do you always trim the edge off? And she says... I don't know. That's the way my grandma did it. So they go to grandma and they ask her, why did you always trim the edge off the roast? And she's like, well, I had to do that to get it fit in the pan. (laughs) (laughs) Which has nothing to do with retreats. But I just think that's a hilarious story. And it's just part of the the handing down of traditions. And there was really a sense of that in the house where we were staying because so many of the things were two or three or more generations old. Yeah, and I think the other thing about going up there, you just go up there and you completely unplug. Like they had talked last year after we had the first retreat there, we're going to put like cell tower boosters and everything down there in the tavern. And we're all like, no, no, I don't want to sell booster down there because it's kind of nice to go up there and not be interrupted by social media or anything else. You have access if you walk up the hill And you can get on the internet and stuff like that. But it was really nice to kind of really be off the grid for like four days because we don't really do that for ourselves anymore. I so agree. And that is a huge part of the appeal of, I mean, that's the verb retreat, right? Take Mm -hmm. a step back. And that definitely was part of the appeal. So we were talking about the pots and pans, the food, et cetera. But one of the things that you particularly did, Eva, was organize like who brought meals. So we did this in a very casual manner, right? It was not a, it's not a retreat center. It's not hosted. We did it for ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So we just, it was almost potluck on a big scale, right? How did you kind of organize that? So we had a couple people that I knew had to bring their key signature meals and food. Right, the lasagna. And then I kind of did it on, we were, we have a Facebook closed chat group. And so like I chime in and kind of say, what does everyone want to bring? What are you thinking you want to bring? And then they would type up stuff. And then I put it on a Google spreadsheet. So you could kind of make sure every Mm -hmm. dinner had, you know, there were solid dinners. I made sure every dinner, you know. Breakfast ingredients, those sorts of things. For breakfast, last year we tried to do cook breakfast. And we did like some like breakfast brunch and stuff, stuff like that. But we decided that it was easier just to do yogurts and hard-boiled eggs and let everyone kind of fend for themselves because Mm -hmm. some people wanted a big breakfast, some people didn't. Mm -hmm. And lunch was kind of fend for yourself. And then there was more like sewing, more kind of, it was less high maintenance. It was easier to just count on that one big meal. And pretty much two to three people kind of would just jump in and do the kitchen and do the dishes because this is a vintage house. We have no dishwasher. Right. (laughs) Yes, you have to do dishes the Armstrong way. But I mean, it was still like just pleasant because everybody kind of jumped in and everybody helped out. And I think that makes a good retreat. It absolutely does. And I think beyond the sewing, which, you know, after the first night you sort of sew into the wee hours, it feels like because you're just raring to go. But by the second or third night, you're winding down and relaxing a bit more. And it's really nice to have a place to, to socialize, I guess. Uh-huh. So we had both a comfy living room and then a like an outdoor seating area. And of course, being in the summer, that was super enjoyable. In the summer evenings, the weather was beautiful and... You have a great view. Mosquitoes were out. Yeah. And- <laughs> 
But we had all the lounger chairs and the lawn chairs, yeah. and it was kind of cooler this year. So we spent much more time out there last year when it was hotter. Yes. And um, so we are never going to retreat again in July because the tavern does not have AC. Well, it has like the stand-up freestanding units that we bring in. The swamp coolers? Yeah. <laughs> but um, last year when it was like 111 at about like 4.30, you couldn't stand to be in the tavern that at toasty. that point. Between 4.30 and 6, it just got so warm because the sun beats in, even though we put the blinds down. So we would have to go up to that outdoor kind of like seating area. Just to chill. And we had misters last year. So the misters were going, you're under the canopy and you're sitting. <laughs> but it was too warm to be sewing. So that's kind of a, that's a pretty big consideration, right? Yeah. So depending on what type of climate you're doing it in, really think about mm -hmm. the type of year that it will be. And think about whether you whether your group loves doing outdoorsy things, like mm -hmm. sitting out around a campfire telling stories in the evening, or whether they prefer to, you know, curl up in front of a fireplace, in which case you might like a winter retreat. So yeah. all of those are, are options to consider. And I do do a fall kind of like an October, November winter retreat with just two other ladies and this... Um, this particular friend's husband built this humongous shop and we had done a retreat the year before. They call it a cabin, but it's not a cabin. It's more of a house house. And so we had done it in the house and then he just wasn't there. Well, he bought a big, he built a big, really nice shop with heated floors and everything else. And he really likes her quilting. Like he likes to pick out the fabric and he likes to cut fabric. He will even seam rip. And oh I've been on goodness. the recipient end of that. He'll sit. He has a special chair over in the windows in the quilt studio room. And he will rip for you oh and cut goodness. for you and run it through imagine. the AccuCutter. It is amazing when he helps out. But she has, um, he built her the studio up to the top of the shop. And then it has big windows so she can look out and see him. And they can kind of see each other when he's working on stuff. And um, But that one's a much smaller area. But yeah, we do a lot of the same thing with that. It's like the sleeping arrangements are a little bit different and then, but it tends to be cooler. So we usually go cuddle up in the living room with blankets and kind of just chill. And So time of year is really a factor. It is. Have you been to any retreats, Eva, that are hosted by someone where they provide, you know, accommodations or meals or that sort of thing or no? I did a women's retreat in a quilter's retreat little setting and they kind of had it set up that way but then it's a cost issue mm -hmm. so it's so much per person and then if they do meals it's like another extra part some will only do evening meals some will do all meals right so we kind of when we did it that time and we stayed in a big dormitory which was interesting with like 10 twin size beds and 10 different ladies in this dormitory kind of setting um and it was amazing, but we opted to just do the meals ourselves for the same reason. It was a cost thing mm -hmm. when it came down to it. So that, too, is a consideration. Like, do you really want to put your feet up? In which case, you might want to go to a hosted center, mm -hmm. retreat center, where they do all the things for you. Or the kind that you and I typically do, where it's, it's self-administered. You know, you arrange yeah. it, you do it, you carry it out. And there's probably all kinds of things in between. But Yeah. I mean, you could also go to a retreat house that is by, like restaurants or takeout places or something like that that That's could be a, an in-between so kind of, of the thing in yep yeah yep, you're right you're right 
Well, what else is important in a retreat? I know, I feel like one of the really important things is to take a sense of humor. Some of the ones (laughs) that I've been to, you know, for one thing, you got a lot of women together and and you got to be, you know, flexible about things. But also, like pranks are seriously funny when you've got a bunch of ladies, especially if they've been staying up late or maybe, you know, in the wobbly pop a little bit. And the pranks that go on are fantastic. And to me, those are refreshing too. Like they're almost, they're youthful. They are. Yeah, you you heard several of the ladies have taglines and I won't tell what their taglines are. <laughs> but um, the first telling. year we were together, it was like, I just did not expect the one particular lady to use the tagline she likes, but now she uses it and it just it isn't a retreat unless she uses the tagline at least once or twice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it, that's different for every group of women. But mm-hmm. go prepared to um, to join in that sort of fun and to let down your hair a little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. This year we were picking on someone because they were getting ready to officially retire. And we made so many like retirement jokes and uh, <laughs> everything else. It was... You know, (laughs) and certainly those are the things if you go back with the same people over and over again, those are the things that build tradition into it and become the stories of the year after and the year after and the year after and really are special. Yeah, it kind of really makes it and you get to know each other on just I feel like when you're off the beaten track, you get to know people on a more intimate level than you would in a normal setting. Yeah, when you're true. with them all weekend. Yeah, when you're and you're kind of away from your typical surroundings and you just relax. Yeah. yeah. Good times. Well, listeners, if you've never been on a retreat, I encourage you to do it. I mean, whether it's quilting or not, there is something just a little bit magical, certainly something rejuvenating about taking that step back, that slower pace, and just letting yourself breathe. Any final words of wisdom for us, Eva? Um, I think the sense of humor, the go into it, just, I always like to take several different projects because the first couple years, the first couple times I'd done it, I only brought like one or two and then I got there and I wasn't feeling it and you're trapped. So bring like a couple different things so that if you want to change what you want to do at any point, you can. That's a good one because you don't want to work, you don't want to force yourself to work on a project at retreat. Mm -hmm. You want to bring along choices. And I do like to bring something like that's almost done. So, and as you notice this year, there was one person that had done that this year and they got it all sewn up and they're like, I got a project all done. And that's because I had done it the year before. So it's the first finish of retreat. The first finish of retreat. (laughs) Yep. She got it done, I think in the first like two or three hours. And so, but sometimes that gives you a little bit of accomplishment and then you just go full steam ahead on other stuff. Yeah, it absolutely does. One more thing before we go that I know we did this year was uh, we arranged an expedition. So we took one afternoon and went to quilting shops, went to an art museum that also had quilts and artistic things in it, and just spent some time together, again, away from our fabric, away from our close things, just, just enjoying each other's company and some good coffee. Yes, and buying fabric, of course. How well, can you yes. go wrong? <laughs> I mean, we had been using it up at a great rate, so you've got to replenish all yeah. that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you ever get a chance to go on a quilting retreat, I encourage you, do it. It is the best thing. Yes. Well, thanks, Eva, for sitting and joining me. It's been okay. great fun. It's been great. Thanks. Bye. Eva, thanks for joining me. 
Yes, here in the studio, face to face. I know, it's so (laughs) fun to be recording this way, actually in the same room. Today, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about shop hops. It's not a thing I've actually ever done. I know so many quilters do. What's the big attraction? What's the big deal? I think the fun thing about it is usually you do it with like one or two other people. I have done it with like one other person. Um, I took my mother-in-law a few years ago and she had never been on a shop hop because where she kind of, she doesn't live locally, so she doesn't have a lot of quilter friends. I'm kind of her quilter friend that I get her into trouble. But it's usually um, stores will be handing out patterns and they have like free little giveaways that they'll be having or they have kit specials or they have demos going on. And so there's all different kinds of little things. So is it a fairly organized event then, like the dates and even the stops on the route, like not a specific order, but the various stops. They all the shops are planned and notified and they've kind of geared up for this. Yeah, the ones that I have done have been here in eastern Washington and they have a whole map and then they all collaborate together. Um, and you're supposed to get so many stamps. And if you get over 12 stamps, you can turn it in with a chance to win like a drawing of different prizes. So a kind of like a passport for like every, a passport every, place, for you every place you go to. Got it. And so um, I did it once with my mother-in-law. She was less intense. So a year, two years prior to that, I'd done it with a friend that I worked with who is just a very organized person. And so we plotted all of our things, and she is kind of one of those type of personalities, like she wants to do it all. And so we mapped it out, and I had another friend help me with some of the different locations, because I wasn't sure where some of the locations were, and had talked, we talked about it to figure out what was the best way to like go pick up at my house and go north, and then we could hit this many shops, and then if we cut over to this road, you know, we had it all mapped out. Um, We had brought snacks. I realized about halfway through I had not brought enough snacks. And my friend shopping is that what you're saying? What hungry work shopping? (laughs) Yes it it was it was intense part of it, but we didn't have enough snacks at one part. And she was very determined that we were going to. We had done three shops that were more local to my area after work one day, and we did those really really quick. And then there were two that were too far out in opposite directions. So we decided to cut those off. And we kind of had this big loop. And I wanted to stop for lunch. And we decided that if Eva gets hangry, that (laughs) I no longer think I'm not good at reading the map when I'm hungry. (laughs) But she was a she's just a get her got get her done kind of person. And she was determined that we were finishing this list so we could have, I think we did 12 or 13 different shops and there were 18 or 20. Oh my goodness. On the thing. And so we, she picked me up at 7.30 in the morning so that we would be like far north at this one shop when it opened. So the moral to this story is you need to know who you're going with, right? Yeah. Because... For some, that is the joy in it, seeing how many places they can get to, how many stamps, mm-hmm. you know, you can achieve, how many shops you can touch bases with. And for others, it's more a, you know, footloose, fancy free kind of thing, whatever yeah. takes you fancy, right? So I've done it both ways. I've done it the really planned way with the person that had her checklist that wanted to get everything done. And then I did it with someone who'd never done it. And it was more free flowing. And we went to where we wanted to. And when we were done, we were done. 
and we so just went home. So at each shop, you mentioned that they have patterns. It seems like, because I see these in quilt shows and things, you'll mm-hmm. see um, shop hop rows. Yes. So it seems like that's kind of the way it's done, right? Each shop has a specific row designed for them? Does it represent shop or location or... So that's a different kind of shop hub. That's more the row by row one. Okay. And that one, they register online. Both of them, they have to register. So there's like the one that I was talking about was the one that's like, 